welcome to Church of the Well podcast. Thank you for joining us. Hebrews 4, verses 12 and 13. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to, to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This is the word of the Lord. We're grateful to be here. We're grateful for your love, for your grace, for your mercy. And Lord, we're grateful that you are a God who speaks to us through your word. We're grateful that it's written down for us in a way that doesn't change. Lord, we ask that as we study it today and we hear from it, that you would speak very clearly to our hearts and our minds. Lord, may we see Jesus lifted high this morning. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. All right. So we're back in Hebrews, which is awesome. For those of you who don't remember, we started this a while ago. Um, we're just going to start working our way verse by verse again. So we've called this series The Greatest. And um, just as a refresher, the concept behind what this is about is that Jesus is superior and supreme and sufficient over all things. And it's one thing to say that, it's another thing to believe it, it's another thing to live it. And so the book of Hebrews is very practical in its attempt to say, hey, Jesus is superior, but here's some ways that we can actually live it and challenge our hearts and our minds and our soul to actually see it. And so one of the things that's exciting about, I, I mean, I, I don't, I design these kind of uh, series in ways where when we take a break and we come back, I usually like to start in certain passages, and this is one I was excited to start in because it brings us right back into the solidity of God's word and the importance of it. Um, at Church at the Well, we preach out of the scriptures. Um, one of the things that you'll hear me say on a regular basis, you'll also hear Pastor Matt say it, is that um, this is what we live by, this is truth, this is what we have. And when we get to a place, or if Church of the Well gets to a place where the word is not being preached or it becomes an opinion or, you know, oh, we really care what Kevin has to say, then we're moving in the wrong direction. Um, as believers, one of the things that you're supposed to do is be in the word, but you're also supposed to test what's being said. And so as a result of that, there's a lot of things that in our liturgy that we do that I don't explain very often, but it's important. Like I don't put verses on the, on the screen. And I do that intentionally. Because what I've learned is that from the statistics that I read, most Christ followers don't open their Bibles during the week. So I'm like, well, then I'm gonna make them open them while they're here, right? Um, when we preach, I like preaching verse by verse through texts. Why? Because I think um, probably in my past when I think about some of the, the sermons that I've preached in different contexts and different cities, um, it, 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 felt, it began to feel like it was having kind of an entertainment component to it. And uh, as far as preaching goes, we're not here to entertain. We're here to make sure that the Word of God is prevalent in coming forward, and then it's your job to read it and study it and make sure that what pastors are saying is accurate and correct. Um, 
you also have to know the Word of God so that you can discern when somebody's teaching something that's opposed to the Word of God. And what I find so interesting about this specific passage is that the author of Hebrews is really pushing our understanding of how God's Word functions in our life in very practical ways. So I have, a, I have a secret goal today. I mean, for those of you who may be new to church world or new even to reading scripture, um, my kind of little goal on the side here is that maybe you'll have a different view of scripture and you'll say, oh, this is something that I really need to pour my heart into. For those of you who are reading scripture every single day, then my hope is that you kind of get afresh, anew, right? That maybe as we look at some of these analogies that were given when we open up god's word and we take the time to sit down and really read it maybe we'll come at it with a fresh perspective and a hunger and so if you haven't turned there yet turn to chapter 4 starting at verse 12 it begins this way for the word of god is living and active the word of god is living and active I remember the first time I was in high school and this specific verse was read and I remember laughing in my head. What? What What in the world does that even mean? The Word of God is living and active. Because my perception of Scripture wasn't that it wasn't to be revered and that it wasn't true, but that it had been written a really long time ago by some people that I never met And it told stories and history about things that were oftentimes what felt like crazy and difficult and I haven't seen in my lifetime. And then they say, well, the Word of God is living and active. And I thought, I, I don't get it. I don't understand. Let me try to put some legs to this. So... First thing we need to know about Scripture is that it's written in what's called dual authorship. Meaning the Holy Spirit, Scripture says that the Holy Spirit has inspired the individuals who wrote this down to write down exactly what it is that they were recording. And when we say dual authorship, it means that there's two things kind of working together. And This is one of those mysteries I can't fully understand, but I love and appreciate that God loves us enough to do this. So what he does is it says the Holy Spirit inspired, the word inspired literally means to breathe out. That God breathed out his word into the human author, and then the human author recorded it, and as the human author was recording the scripture, God's word that was breathed out, then we know what was written was true, but something else transpired. The Holy Spirit actually allowed the individual who was writing it to give some of their own perspective on what the Holy Spirit was telling them. And that blows my mind. When I think about the gift of Scripture and its dual authorship, I think, okay, God doesn't just come and say, here's truth, this is it, accept it. He cares about us enough that He says, I'm going to deliver this through individuals like you who have lived in the sin-cursed world, who live in sin-cursed bodies, who are hoping in the Old Testament for Jesus to come, even though they didn't know that's who it was, or who have sat down with Jesus and wrote this down and observed what they saw, and then they tell us how it impacted them personally. It's crazy when you think about it. Why do we have four Gospels? 
Why, when sometimes when you hear the gospel, you're like, man, that one isn't, that, that seems to be a really prevalent story in this gospel, but not over here. And there's a whole lot of reasons for that. But one of them is that the perspective of the individual that was watching what was happening, some things hit them harder than others. They also had this desire, if you read the gospels, it'll tell you why they're writing it and who they're writing it to. Which means if you're gonna write a specific, say, letter to someone, and it's somebody that you really love and it's somebody that you really care about, you write that a little bit different than if you're writing a business letter. At least you should. Because otherwise it could come off a little bizarre. And so we have these different perspectives. I, I remember when it was being explained to me as a kid, um, it was described to me as like, think of like if you witness something, let's say you witness a car accident, and then the police officer's job is to go around, well, I don't know if they do that anymore, but the police officer's job back then was to go around and talk to all the witnesses and try to figure out what actually happened. And what's fascinating is my dad was a police officer and he'd come home and the same people would see the same event and they would recount it completely different because everybody's perspective was different, but it was the same event. For this person, the sounds that they heard impacted them more, and so they would describe that. For this person, they were visual, and what they saw impacted more. For this person, this person was in one of the cars that was hit. This person was in the car that did the hitting. And so they all have this different perspective, and you're, you're drawing it together. And when you think of Scripture and God's love for us, he literally says, I'm going to show you how this works, how, how these stories come together in real life. It's quite the gift when you really think about it. So what does that mean that it's living? Well, we know it's inspired by God, and we know that we've talked about this in the book of Hebrews already, that when God speaks, it's always true. Scripture says God doesn't lie. He he never changes his immutability. He's, he's always the same. And so when he speaks a word, it is always that word. Well, that's helpful for us to understand. So when he says he's breathed out his word to us, what he told to individuals in the Old Testament, still the, the truth of that still applies today. Right? Sometimes the application can change a little bit but the truth still exists. So when God was speaking to the prophets of old and he says, thus says the Lord, that's still relevant to us. In fact, the book of Hebrews is constantly quoting the Old Testament. And you go, man, some of the stuff that the author of Hebrews is recording was written thousands of years before the author was even born. How is it possible that that's still even relevant to them? How does it even impact them? How is it that when we open up the book of Psalms and we read about the emotion of David and whatever he's going through, we actually have the ability to relate what he's going through? How does that work? It works because, as the author of Hebrews describes here, for the word of God is living and active. Maybe one more quick helpful little hint here. I talk a lot about God creating us. He, he's our author. He knows us. He, he knows what we need. He knows what we desire. He knows what we struggle with. And knowing that 
It's fascinating that when we look throughout history, mankind from the fall in Genesis chapter 3 has struggled with the exact same thing throughout history, and that is I'm a dirty, rotten sinner living in a sin-cursed world, and I don't know what to do with it. And God says, well, I've got a plan. And from that moment through the rest of all of Scripture, it is this plan of God to bring sinful mankind to Himself. That's the story. If, and, and here's where it's cool. If Moses struggled with the same things internally that we struggle with, and God's Word spoke to his heart and his mind and his soul, then it will also speak to us. Why? Because we deal with the same problems the same issues, the same fears. It's interesting, a lot of times when I'm training leaders, one of the things I'll tell them is God truly elevates those who are willing to be obedient and humble. And as a leader, sometimes that's the hardest thing to be. Right? We know that. But isn't it interesting that as he says that to people like David or Isaiah, it still holds true today. Because we struggle with the same thing. It's living. It's breathing. It still has meaning because it's coming from God Himself. I remember an individual once saying, I don't understand why you guys constantly preach the Bible because it was written so long ago and how can it possibly be relevant? And, I'm, and, and all I could challenge him to do was say, Read it. Because what you're going to find is that it's different than anything else you've ever read. I've read a lot of books. I read a lot of popular books. I've read novels. I've read you know, all kinds of different genres. I've read books that help me understand this better, right? And, but the reality is nothing speaks to my heart like this. Nothing. And if you read it, you realize that. Nothing else has the ability to articulate the emotions and the feelings, the fears, the anxieties that we have as created human beings more than this. We try. It's not, I'm not saying don't read books. I, brilliant individuals who the Holy Spirit uses to help us articulate the, the, this word in practical ways is important. But... Nothing's more important than the Word of God. I, I remember I, I, got, I was young, and I got into this argument with this woman, and she was right, and so, but I didn't want to admit it. So if she's listening, I don't know. You're right. Um, this was a long time ago. And she's like, I don't understand why Christ followers read anything Christian except this. And I'm like, well, there's reasons, right? But she's like, for me, I don't see the point. Why would I want to go read somebody who's telling me what they think this is about when I could actually have the ability to go to the source? And I'm like, I get it. I get what you're saying, but we know that Scripture talks about people preaching God's Word and explaining it to us, and Jesus did that, so it's important. But there's a component of what she's saying that's right. I hear pastors preach all the time and they're constantly quoting other people instead of this and you go what i get it 
But this is where the power lies. This is what's living and breathing. Right? I'm going to move on, but if you're here and you're doubting this, then I will challenge you to spend some time this week in it. And you're like, well, where do I start? I'm just going to recommend starting the book of John. Just open it up, start reading it, take some time to process it, and watch what happens to your heart and your soul and your mind in the process. You will realize that there's something different about this. All right, so it describes it that way at the beginning. For the Word of God is living and active. And then it's going to go into some pretty cool analogies. You ready for this? Sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing to the division of soul and of spirit and of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Swords are cool. Right? There's some swords that are described in Scripture that one day I hope we get to see. If, you, if you've read much Scripture, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, go to the fall, look at when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, and look what's guarding the entrance. I don't know if you've ever processed that before, but you realize that when Adam and Eve were removed from the garden, they actually lived outside of the garden and they were able to see the garden. They were actually able to see what they had been thrown out of. And in order for them not to go back in, it says that there was a sword that was guarding the entrance. And I'm like, so that must have been a, quite a sword, right? I wonder how many times Adam walked over to it, looked at it, and thought, I can't believe what I've lost. I want to get back in there. I want the life that I had before. The guy lived hundreds of years, hundreds and hundreds of years, and he had had to have the regrets of going, this is what I walked away from, and it's right there in my face constantly. Cool sword, though. <laughs> right? There's swords. I, swords are cool. They're sharp. They're, they can be interesting. We like a good sword fight in movies. If you watch a movie with a bad sword fight, you typically will turn it off. Right? You want to see cool stuff. You want to hear the clanking, that kind of thing. It's described here. The Word of God is described as a sword. And there's two sides to this that I want you to understand. Okay? So, first, it says that it, it will pierce us. It's sharp. It's sharper than, two, than any two-edged sword. It, it will pierce. The Word of God is piercing. It says that it pierces to our heart, our soul, into the, our, our bone marrow. Like into the joints of us. It's, it, it has the ability to really go after every component of our being. The Word of God can impact us physically. Have you ever been reading and then just had no choice but to sing and praise God? Have you ever been reading and you just had to hit your knees and you just found yourself crying, maybe in pure joy or in conviction, Right? It has the ability to impact us in so many ways. It can bring you to your knees. It can get you up dancing. It'll change your soul, your heart. It gets you to process what's going on because it's piercing. It doesn't, it doesn't just appeal to your head. It'll appeal to your emotions. It pierces everything. And oftentimes I think when we think of the Lord, I mean the Word of God as a sword, especially in this kind of a context, we're probably thinking about how it actually impacts us. And that's good. 
But there's another component to the word being a sword. In fact, if you study scripture and you learn about the armor of God, you realize that the word of God is also described as a sword that we use, and it's the only offensive weapon that we're given. Sorry, I got emotional. So, when we moved here, and I still, I still say this, I, I believe right now, this is just me, and I'm watching, and I've been doing some counseling, and I'm watching what's going on in the city of Boston. I believe right now, and I've seen it before, but right now there seems to be an extra push by the enemy to take the city. And I don't know what, I don't know what's coming. Every time I see that, I see it in churches, I see it in pastors, I see it in just, there's so much attack coming and, and everybody's trying to figure out what's going on and what to do and, and you see all of these things. You, there's something in me, and you, you can call this bizarre if you like, but oftentimes when the enemy is really attacking his hardest, he's seeing something as a great threat. And oftentimes, in the, after those valleys, you see these mountaintop experiences that are unbelievable. Right? It's just, I remember when we came here, and I, I'm just going to encourage you guys with this, but when we came here, the original team, I, so when we, we study Scripture, and what we see is that Jesus says in Matthew 16 that he's going to build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I'm building my church. Jesus builds his church. I don't. Pastor Matt doesn't. Activities don't. Programs don't. Jesus builds his church. Jesus builds his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. And I flipped this in a way because what I was realizing is that gates are defensive. You can't build gates until you own the property. You realize that as Christ followers, it is our job to attack the gates of hell? Like, that's our job. And here's the problem with it. Gates allow the individual who owns the gates to often have the high ground. And so Scripture talks about that the, the, the enemy is like a roaring lion who's waiting to grab and devour anyone. It describes him as shooting fiery arrows. And I picture, once again, I'm visual, you know this. So I picture the enemy on top of the gate shooting fiery arrows at you guys. And then I picture the strength of that, the difficulty of that, and that it's our job in the power and the grace of Jesus to attack those gates until they crumble because the gates of hell will not prevail. Now here, what, what was the point of that? The only offensive weapon we have is the Word of God. Every other component of the, army, of the, the armor that's described in Scripture is so that we can handle the arrows that are coming at us. They're defensive. But the Word of God is described as a sword, a sword of truth. That's what we attack with. And what I have learned over time is that when the church refuses to attack with the Word of God and attempts to attack with cleverness, 
or entertainment or personal desire or preference, it doesn't work. The sword isn't designed just to pierce our own hearts. The sword is designed to to see the gates of hell crumble. And to make this even more personal, when we're out and about and we're looking at individuals who don't know Christ, we have to visualize them as being surrounded by a wall that the enemy owns. And the only thing that's going to crumble that wall is the Word of God. It's our sword. I've been working on trying to come up with an analogy for this that makes any sense whatsoever, and I don't have it. It's football season, so this is the best I can do. Football players, I didn't play football, okay? Pastor Matt did, so I ask a lot of questions at times back in the day. I'm like, tell me about this because I don't understand this or what's going on. So the football players wear pads, why? Because you get hit all the time, right? So imagine this. Imagine if you're a football player and you have pads on and everybody gets to hit you, but the rule is you don't get to hit anybody. You don't get to run. You just have to stand there. Who's signing up? These guys are massive, right? I don't want them running at me full speed and I don't want to just stand there and take it. You have to have something offensive that's going to prevent you from getting hit and completely and utterly destroyed. And no matter how many pads you put on, over time, if you keep getting hit and hit and hit and hit, you're eventually going to die. You're eventually going to crumble. You have to have something offensive. You have to, our job as the church isn't just to sit back and take it. We do that. Jesus did. But one of the thing, one of the beautiful things about the cross is that Jesus put himself in a defensive posture because of who he was. It became 100% offensive. Why? Why? Because he was fulfilling what? Word of the Lord. His sacrifice was actually the use of the sword. It's phenomenal to think about. Sometimes the use of the sword requires us to make sacrifice because that's what Scripture says. Sometimes the use of the sword requires that we be very vocal. But as the arrows fly, you're going to get hit. Right? The question is, do you have a sword? Life doesn't change drastically for the individual as a Christ follower in our sanctification process until we realize the balance between that armor. That there's moments where we need that breastplate and there's moments when we need those shoes. There's also moments when we need the sword. And it needs to be used. Your job is to attack the gates of hell. And the thing that you've been given is the most powerful thing that you could ever be given. Let me read this to you again with that in mind. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's what the sword does. That's what the Word of God does. 
We know that. We all know that. If you walked with Jesus very long at all, you know that when you hear it preached or you're in the Word, you know that it'll pierce your heart. You know that it does exactly what it says here, that it's discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. But we also have to know that it does the same for others. There's nothing in here. The life of a Christ follower is not easy. It's hard. But one of the things that, one of the reasons when I look at the city of Boston and I think, we've made progress. Like, and I'm not just talking about church at the well. I'm looking at other planters that have come in, other pastors that have come in, other ministry individuals, individuals that are just out attempting to live for the glory of Jesus. There's been progress in the almost 13 years that I've been here. I've I've seen it. But part of me also wonders why there isn't more. And the only conclusion that I have is that as Christ followers, we're not using the sword enough. It needs to be used more. It needs to be utilized more. We need to Here's my evidence that I have people that, that are Christ followers and they'll say, well, I'm afraid to talk to an individual about Jesus because what if I say the wrong thing? And I'm like, that's the beauty of it. You don't have to say anything but what's in here. Amen. Pastor Matt recently did an evangelism class and one of the things that he teaches individuals was how to give their testimony and how to take that testimony and lead it just directly into Scripture. Because here... We live in this world that is constantly asking us to be unique, but what we realize in Christ is that we're not really all that unique. (laughs) Our stories resonate with others. Why? Because we deal with the same disease. Sin. And it looks different for everybody. It, It manifests itself a little bit different, but the reality is it's the same. It separates us from our Creator. We... As Christ followers, there's, you can never go wrong, ever, by just expressing the Word of God to an individual. <laughs> Stories in Scripture where individuals are like, I mean, you can pick a bunch of them. Moses, he's like, I don't speak good, right? <laughs> like, he, Paul, he's like, don't worry about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit will give you the words in a moment. What's the Holy Spirit's words going, that are going to be given to the individuals that God's using? God's Word. I just wonder what would happen in a city like Boston if the church stopped banking on cleverness and comfort and started banking on the Word of God. It would be an interesting revival, wouldn't it? Lastly, verse 13, and no creature is hidden from his sight but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. There's an interesting analogy here where the word of God is now described as God's eyes. Now, that makes sense. It's an easy jump, right? Because we just talked about it being a sword that pierces. So now we step back a moment and say, okay, now it's not a sword, it's God's eyes and he sees everything. 
his word is himself because he speaks his word. So when we make that switch, what we realize is that the sword that the Lord gives us is himself and his words and his truth and who he actually is. And so therefore to make this shift to say, well, it's his eyes that are actually seeking and, and, and doing the piercing makes, makes sense. But what's interesting is he's gonna make this argument. The author of Hebrews here is transitioning a little bit to say what we as Christ followers need to understand is that nobody's immune to God's word. So we suffer from the same disease, which means the remedy is also the same. And this is something that I'm passionate about, but it's also something that I think is one of the greatest tools of the enemy, especially in a city like Boston. You can phrase this however you want. Well, your truth looks like your truth and my truth looks like my truth. And any educated individual honestly will say, that's not possible. Two opposing concepts, two opposing things that are both claiming truth cannot both be truth. Can't. We've seen this. We, I remember when I was in college, there was this push. There was this real like strong push to make sure that students were being affirmed as kids and we didn't want to tell them that their answers were wrong anymore. And so I remember when this hit math, it was a problem, <laughs> right? Because two plus two is four. But what the push was, was well, if a student says two plus two is five, we need to just affirm them that it's okay because that's who they are. And I'm like, this is, this is the epitome of the stupidity, right? And I can say that because it's used in scripture. It's f called foolishness. It's the epitome of it. Where you, you actually get to a place where you're agreeing that there has to be different truths for different people. And you go, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. So, this specific verse is making that become an elimination in our thought process. Every single person that we meet needs the remedy of Jesus. They don't need their Jesus or a God. They need the Jesus that actually exists. They need the Jesus that came and lived the life that they couldn't live and died on the cross for them and rose three days later conquering sin, sin, and death and then offering his life for theirs. That's what every single person needs. They don't need more philosophy. They don't need necessarily more understanding. They need Jesus. They need the sword. We use a lot of different techniques to try to get the sword it's, you know, I, I, you could take something like this and go, well, this is why people go out on the street and just begin yelling at people. And I'm like, I get that. I understand why they do that. I don't think it's very effective. But I understand it. They're standing there saying, I know without a shadow of a doubt that every single person that walks by me needs Jesus, and so I'm going to proclaim it with everything I've got and trust that the Holy Spirit's going to do something in them. I mean, I can't, you're going to stand on a, on a street corner and just 
speak out the word of God, I, there's nothing wrong with that. Once again, I don't know how effective it'll be. I don't know. In our culture, relationships are key. In Jesus' culture, relationships were key. Oftentimes we have to get permission to present the gospel. But here's what I'm finding is that oftentimes I think we can take the methodology and it becomes the religion. We, it's all, well, I made all these relationships. Great. Did you pull the sword out? Like what? It, the saying says that, you know, lots of people go to hell with good intentions, right? We, we have to understand that God sees everything. He sees everybody, that every single person that lives and breathes is under God's wrath. And outside of Christ, I mean, Scripture makes it clear. What, what good does money do for us if we lose our soul? What good does philanthropy do for us if we lose our soul? We get an average of 80 years in the United States, and what's at stake is eternity. Well, Are the relationships that we build and the methods that we use designed to have the sword come out? Or are we more in love with the methods than the word? There's a story a long time ago. There's some uh, magicians, um, Penn and Teller, I think they're called. They're old school. You've probably seen them. And I remember one of them shared a story once, and I don't know who's who. There's a bigger guy and a littler guy, okay? I just don't know who they are. I don't know. The bigger guy. He was approached one day, and he's, he's pretty much a well-known atheist, if you follow him at all and know anything about it. And he said that somebody walked up to him once and handed him a Bible and told him how much he enjoyed his show, and he wanted to know if he knew Jesus. And he had highlighted some things and talked to him, and he didn't want to take a whole lot of his time because he knew that it was after the show and so on and so forth. And I remember seeing a post, you could probably look it up, this is years ago, but whoever that big guy is, I can't remember which one, said, I'm overwhelmed. I don't believe this, but I'm overwhelmed that this guy loved me so much and believes what he believes so much that he was willing to put himself in an uncomfortable position to tell me his truth. And I thought, wow. I, I don't know that, I mean, the word of God never becomes void, right? It always impacts. And let me, and you go, well, how? Because I've been maybe expressing the word of God to this person forever. Well, sometimes the word of God saves and sometimes the word of God condemns. But it never returns void. So, I was moved that an atheist who is a decently famous individual would actually see the heart behind what was going on and be moved by that. that man, if, if you re- I think his quote was, if you really believe, if you really believe 
that people go to hell without Jesus, how much must you hate somebody not to tell them about Christ? That's coming from an atheist. Like, if you get to know me, I'm, I'm verbal. I will, tell you, I will eventually probably say I love you to you. Because I do. But I'm verbal. I'm also try to be encouraging and that's just kind of how I work. Words of affirmation are important to me. It's part of one of my love languages, right? But just to tell somebody that you love them constantly doesn't really mean a whole lot. It's grounded in the actions that we take and do we really have their good at heart? It's grounded in going, I've built a relationship with this individual. Like one of the questions we ask a lot is how many, how, as a Christ follower, it, was, it, it meant more when we were kind of in the Bible Belt, but we would be talking to people in the Bible Belt and I'd be like, how many non-Christian friends do you have? And they'd be like, none. And I'm like, well, that's not great. Right? You're not building relationships with individuals. I mean, here, it's, that's really simple to do. <laughs> right? It's, it's not, not the easiest question. But what I would say is, as you look at how many non-Christian friends do you have, do they know what you believe? Do they know why you're here? Do they, do they know that you go to church on Sunday? Do they know that you're a part of a small group? Do they know that your life is attempting to be revolving around bringing glory to Jesus for His purpose? Do they know that Jesus, do they know that you know that Jesus is the only way? Do they know that? Right? And if not, Why? I would go as far as this. If, if you know somebody, you say, this is my friend and I know them well, and they don't know that about you, then they don't really know you. Right? And this isn't an, an attempt to go start slapping everybody with Bibles. You have to hear the heart behind what the words are here. We, our problem isn't too much of this. It's never been. Never. I mean, I don't know what it would look like to pastor myself and go, man, I'm in this way too much. And I'm talking about this way more than I should be. I really need to find some balance in my life. I have never said that in my own heart. Have you? Ever? Every year, every year, every day, I'm like, man, I should have spent more time with the Lord. I should have spent more time in the Word. Like, we never have enough of this. Let's, uh, I don't know, let's make it a challenge where I actually have to go, okay guys, we need to take a break. No, kidding. But can you imagine? Like, that's the heart behind this. And what's crazy is he's talking to individuals who know Jesus. Guys, do you understand what the Word of God actually is? Do you understand the gift that it is that he gave it to us? Do you understand that this gift does so many things? It, 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 it grounds us in who we are and who he is. It provides us with hope that we don't have anywhere else. It allows us to fulfill the mission that Jesus has given us by it not being dependent upon us, but on him. 
All we have to do is use it. We just have to take it out of the sheath and use it. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. There's not a single person who has ever lived on this earth that will not one day have to give an account to Jesus. It says in Scripture that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that will either be for the sake of the person looking at Christ, knowing who He was, and declaring His glory and their joy, or it will be from the pit of hell, having to confess it anyway, still being, bringing glory to Jesus, but no joy to their own detriment. The word of the Lord is, this is what it's about. We, we make it about so many other things that we complicate it so much. It doesn't have to be this complicated. So what do we do with this? Two things. This is where I landed. Conviction and celebration. I, I preached sermon last week and one of the things that I said was that the beautiful thing about the new year is it just reminds us that, oh, something new is starting. But I also said that Scripture reminds us that every single day <laughs> is new. Every single day is new. One of the things I'll tell you if, we're, if we ever sit down and start counseling, something that's popular is I'll just say, listen, you're never stuck in Christ. You're never stuck. For Christ followers, every day is new. Every day is new. We're, our job is to be obedient and humble and be on mission and put on the armor of God every single morning and look for the divine appointments that he's given us and fellowship with our creator and bring glory to Jesus and allow him to pour that joy into us. That's all something that we celebrate and should celebrate every single day. If you don't celebrate every day, we have a problem. You have to celebrate. If you know Jesus, you have everything that you need to wake up in the morning and celebrate. You celebrate the fact that he just put lungs, sorry, that he, sure, that you have lungs, that you have air in your lungs, right? That you're breathing. You celebrate the fact that you woke up from a sleep and didn't have to think about your heart beating. You celebrate. We, the church is terrible at this. And I think the reason is because it's also combined with conviction. You get convicted because we don't celebrate enough. So then you go, well, which emotion do I follow? Both. <laughs> Conviction should ultimately lead more to more celebration. Why? Because the purpose of the life 
of a disciple of Jesus is to bring glory to him for our joy. <laughs> that, that's what it's supposed to be. So it's this constant mix between conviction and celebration and conviction and celebration. And where do we see all of that? Right here. If you're not in this, you will not be convicted, not by God, and you will not celebrate correctly. And a life that's all conviction ugh, is not a life that's joyful in the gospel. And a life that's all celebration tells me it's a life where you're not growing as a disciple. We find those two things working hand in hand consistently and it's the Word of God that allows us to balance those things and understand them. Every week we take communion and I tell you, Sometimes we walk to the table in tears and sometimes we walk to the table dancing. But the reality is, it's both always, right? It's hard not to look at those elements and feel the pain. We cost Jesus and what he paid for us. But it's also hard not to look at and go, I can't believe it. I can't believe that he loves me this much. I can't believe that he would die for me. Why does he want to spend any time? Why does he even care? Those two things are constant and it all comes from God's word. So we'll end with this. For the word of God is living and active. The question is, is the word of God living and active in you? If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, all the scriptures talk about is your need for Him. It's a description of the remedy for the disease that ails you. That's sin. And if you've never given your life to Christ, if you've never come to this place where you say, man, I, I understand I'm a dirty, rotten sinner and there's nothing I can do and without Him, I am one day going to profess that Jesus is Lord, but it could be to my de detriment. Then I will tell you, in that moment of conviction, it can be turned into a major celebration. And it can happen today. It's just a matter of taking your faith and trust and putting it into Him instead of you or anything else. So I encourage you, instead of, if that's you, instead of taking communion or doing something religious that really isn't going to be all that meaningful, actually doesn't mean not meaningful at all, without Christ, then why don't you talk to somebody? You can come find me or turn to the person next to you and talk to them or Pastor Matt's in the back. You don't even have to walk forward. You can walk backward and talk to somebody. What I want you to hear is that Jesus always takes everybody exactly where you are, but he never leaves you that way. He always moves conviction into joy if we'll let him. For the church, my greatest prayer for me, because when I say the church, I'm also talking to me. For the church is that the word of God would be living and active in our life. And if it's not, feel the conviction, turn it around, Experience the joy. Oh, let's attack the gates. The Word of God will attack the gates that are surrounding your own heart as well as the hearts 
of those that are in the city. Communion elements are here. I'm going to pray. Band's going to come up. We're going to sing a couple of songs. And then, as always, you're welcome to partake as you see fit. Father, we thank you for your word. There's not a single person in here that loves it enough. There's not a single person in here who understands it well enough. So Lord, I, I pray for us as a, a body of believers in this small church in East Boston, Lord, that our love for Your Word, our love for Your truth would overwhelm us. I pray that we'd be reminded that You are the true source of life, the true source of joy. Lord, would you allow your word to be active in our hearts and our minds? Lord, pierce us with it, but then give us the grace and the love and the compassion and the boldness to pierce others as well. Lord, I pray for anyone in this room right now who has never given their life to Jesus. I ask that you right now would remove their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh that you would pour on them faith to believe and that you would give them the boldness to talk to someone and ask questions. Lord, I beg, beg you for their heart and their soul. Lord, I pray that everyone in this room right now would one day find themselves professing Jesus as Lord to our greatest joy, not to our detriment. Lord, don't let anybody leave here who isn't your child who isn't adopted into your family. Lord, may your church represent all of that. Speak to us very clearly and give us the boldness and the courage to make the changes that are necessary. Once again, for the glory of Jesus and our joy. And we pray this in his name. Amen.